You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Happy to have you with us, Bengals fans. I'm Anthony Cadenza, joined as usual by John Sheeran. John, how you doing, man? Hanging in there? I know there's a lot going on in a lot of different areas of life, but how you doing? Look, man, losing losing Joe Burrow was one thing, but then losing you for a week, that was a whole other thing entirely. <laughs> I know a lot, of, a lot of our listeners got to listen to you for the first time in a, in a little bit on Monday for the, the, um, the water cooler. Uh, edition of our podcast but it's good to it's good to meet up with you again it's been been too long i know it feels like an eternity and uh missed you guys i appreciate you and matt so much stepping in for me and uh it might have been might have been for the best that i missed last week given what happened in that washington game you might have seen some tears streaming down my face or i don't know what how i would have truly reacted but uh you guys you guys held down the fort awesome as usual and as expected i i didn't even expect you guys to step in and you guys voluntarily did that and i can't thank you enough but good to be back we are set today uh to hopefully be joined by tim mcgee former Bengals wide receiver you've heard him on post-game Bengals talk on on cincinnati radio etc we're waiting to hear back from him if for some reason we don't get him tonight we will be getting him next week so waiting on him to join the program we've uh, reached out to him we spoke to him earlier today he said okay but uh we may be pushing that to next week we'll see but hopefully we get him on but we still have a lot to talk about regardless uh we, we're going to talk a little bit about the game that was for some reason we had a wednesday wednesday game uh for the first time like ever we had a wednesday game so we're going to talk a little bit about what was seen today We've got a stat of the week from the Bengals and the against the Giants. We'll talk a little bit about, about that game, and then we will preview the game coming up against the Dolphins. So a lot to get to. And, John, I guess we can start with some Wednesday football. Very Wednesday like afternoon football. It wasn't even like Wednesday night football. Uh, so the league crammed this one in how they could, I guess. Uh, COVID stuff hitting both teams, primarily the Baltimore Ravens and – a pretty sloppy game, uh, I guess, to be expected based on everything that was surrounding this game. I don't like. I'm sure some people listening to this have watched the whole game because the country's addicted to football. But like, I saw the first handful of possessions. There was uh, ends an interception from Ben Roethlisberger, and then the Ravens guy Tyus Bowser thought he was Ed Reed and took it out from the end zone and <laughs> tackled it like the five. And of course, the you know a few plays later, Robert Griffin the third throws one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen in my life to Joe Hayden, who runs like two yards for no touchdown. And then former Bengal Devontae Harris, who was picked up by the Ravens, yeah, forced a fumble on one of the Steelers' punts, got the ball back, and then they scored a touchdown. So I think the Steelers won by like five, and it was about as ugly as you could expect because of, of course it was. It was Wednesday, and both rosters specifically one of them the opposing team was completely de- depleted and they had to go down to their third string quarterback trace mcsorley sorely the ravens did so yeah just about kind of what you should have ex- expected it gave off a lot of vibes of like a like a late december like midweek and uh college football bowl bowl game or something like that. <laughs> yeah based on it, that's a that's a great comparison based on like the weather and everything it just had that that total vibe and it looked, you know, two teams that maybe took a lot of time away from football and then tried to come back and put it together. That's that's a really good comparison. Look, Steelers are eleven and zero. The Ravens now, I believe, are six and five. Um, they started off real hot, and now they are six and five, struggling. Um, what, what do you make of those two teams? I, I I still think there are many flaws of the Pittsburgh Steelers, but as they always do, they seem to get it done. They seem to always rally, win games, do all of that. So, that I mean, that's kind of in their DNA. And then you've got the Ravens really on a backslide here. That's 
kind of surprising. Like the Ravens have <laughs> lost a lot on the offensive line. They've lost Marshall Yonda to retirement. They lost Ronnie Stanley to injury. And as a result, everything that they've done offensively has just been shaking from it. Like they haven't ran the ball as well as they used to. And unfortunately, Lamar Jackson's regressed and he was out for this game and he hasn't been good this year at all, aside from, you know, a couple of games this year. But like even when he's not playing or he's not playing well, like they're a barely an average team at best. And they're now going to maybe limp into the playoffs if, unless they lose some more games and because the AFC is more stacked than the NFC at this point. So they're six and five. They lost three of the last four dating back to the first time they played the Steelers. We, we probably took it took for granted, like how much how many losses of uh, in terms of personnel and players that they've incurred this year. And obviously, you know, th- this time when they've had 24 players on, on the COVID list, like that was just going to be too much to overcome facing right. any team, or, no, no matter like the the, un- the only undefeated team in the NFL. So they're they're not looking good right now. And I think a lot of this kind of stemmed back to, you know, the, the loss of offensive line. If you were to say that at this point in the season, week 13 now, that – the Cleveland Browns would have a better record by two wins than the Baltimore Ravens. Would you, if you, if you had said that at the beginning of the season, do you think anybody would have believed you? Uh, That's just crazy to me. And now really, unless something really weird happens, Cleveland can actually usurp the Steelers and take control of the division. I don't see that happening, but the, the Browns do have, I believe the jets and the giants ahead. So They've, uh, you know, they, they've got a somewhat easy road coming up here, but that's just, to me, that's just crazy that the Cleveland Browns have a better record than the Baltimore Ravens to this point. Very similar to the Steelers, where I just don't, like, it's not even just the whole, um, like, the narrative with the Browns. It's, it's not just, like, thinking that they're overrated just because they're the Browns and they're winning. They're, like, legitimately one of the worst eight and three teams of the last, of the last like yeah. 30 years, according to DVOA. And I think you can kind of see that in their point differential. You can see that in how inconsistent Baker Mayfield continues to be. Like they're just a really stacked team and that's undeniable. And their roster is really talented. And I think that that just shows up in some of these games, but I mean, you barely beat the Eagles in one week. You barely beat the Jaguars with Mike Lennon. Like the, the record speaks for itself. And I think they, they deserve to go to the playoffs if they do end up going, but are, are they, like truly ahead of Baltimore in, in terms of just like in terms of taking them seriously and stuff like that. Like, I don't know if we've officially crossed that point, but I mean, they're eight and three because like they've assembled a, a lot of great talent and they finally have good coaches to kind of match that talent. So credit to them for turning it around so quickly after, after firing uh, Freddie kitchens and John Dorsey and then coming, coming back this year and you know, they're, they're putting it together and maybe they're not there yet, but they're definitely on the right track. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the 2011 or 2014, rather, Cincinnati Bengals team, right? I mean, they were pretty good. They were winning games, but they weren't really decisive. They weren't really games that you kind of felt like, hey, you know, yeah, this is probably a playoff team, but mm, I don't think they'll go very far. Um, right. You know, I, 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 it's kind of what what they remind me of at this point in time. And last week, to your point about Baker Mayfield, I know we've talked about this a couple times on the show, but he missed a couple of reads that were just unbelievable mm-hmm. um there there was a couple of throws in the end zone there that he had two guys open and the guy he even threw to who was wide open it was way over his head um and like you said he has been wildly inconsistent the only team he has really played consistently well against <laughs> is the cincinnati Bengals. so <laughs> go figure that one out obviously they can run the ball against the Bengals, and he feeds off of that so uh Anyway, a little bit of an AFC North update, given that there was some Wednesday afternoon football. The Bengals are in the cellar looking up at everyone else at this point, and uh, that's that's where we're at. We're going to talk about the Giants game in just a second. We're also going to break down the Miami Dolphins game. We're hoping that Tim McGee, former Bengals wide receiver, will be joining us. If he does not join us this week, it may be next week. We may have to push it there, so... We will see, but uh, we have been in contact with him, and he is coming on the program. We we were thinking it was tonight, but it may be next week. So either way, thanks for joining us this week. Hopefully you will join us with him next week as we take the air. We've got still a lot to talk about as this season starts to wind down, this weird, weird season for the Cincinnati Bengals and the rest of the NFL. If you're new to the program, he's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We do a number of different shows throughout the week. 
on our podcast, the Orange and Black Insider, as well as Matt Minnick, who does his Chalk Talk video breakdowns and some audio interviews as well. You have Ace and Zim, who hold it down with Orange is the New Black, all part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. And get it where you where you can, wherever you get your podcast streaming software. Our shows are on there. We appreciate it. We've got a lot of views, downloads, and everything throughout this year. It's been a big year for this program, for our channel, and we can't thank all of you enough. John, I know you've got a stat of the week, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, before we do, I think we should maybe talk a little bit about the Giants game, and that can play into maybe potentially your stat of the week. Uh, this one surprised me a little bit. I thought, and Not that I thought that the Giants were world beaters by any stretch of the imagination, but I did... I did think that this was going to be a game that was just going to be pretty ugly from the, and it was from both teams, pretty ugly game, pretty borderline unwatchable game. But uh, I didn't, I didn't think the Bengals would actually have a chance at the end of the game to really win. I just, based on everything they had been through again, another scathing story about the locker room culture and no quarterback, everybody emotionally dealing with that. I just didn't think the Cincinnati Bengals would be in a position to potentially win the game at the very end there. Your thoughts on, I guess we should start maybe with Brandon Allen uh, and what you saw out of him. <laughs> I can already oh, see it man. on your face. <laughs> like, I, just, I, I go back to last week when they made the decision or they unofficially made the decision to start Allen and people were like, oh, why are they not starting Finley? They're traded up for this guy. Why are they not giving him a chance? I guess there's no one seen Brian Finley since he left North Carolina state. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. So I, I understood why they went to Allen, but I also, I didn't, I thought, I didn't think it was pointless. Okay. I did think it was pointless. I, I thought it was pointless splitting Harris between the two of them because as, as bad as Finley was like, Allen's no better and he wasn't going into this game. And he certainly proved that he wasn't after this game like there was a I guess there was a theory like er, on paper there was a plan for this offense to kind of work you just feed Bernard and you have Allen just just not making any mistakes but the like the dude was just he was terrible and it was it sucked because Tyler Boyd's uh production dropped AJ Green was catchless for like the second or third time this season his most productive receiver was Drew Sample and he not only fumbled in the fourth quarter but but missed the block that ended up losing the game so it was a dud on him like the, the entire offense was just was just terrible. And the only reason why they were in this game at all is because Daniel Jones like did something with his hamstring in the third quarter. They had to then they faced Cole McCoy for a, qu- a quarter and a half. So like this, like this was their most winnable game, if not, I guess the Cowboys and Texans later on. But I, I it's hard to expect more from Brandon Allen, especially when he's facing defenses like the Dolphins next week and the Steelers and two weeks after that. So it, it, it's rough, but it's not entirely unexpected, even though he's was chosen to go over Finley. Do you have any confidence, and I, I'll, I'll give my thoughts on the Finley-Allen stuff too in just a second, but do you have any confidence that that Allen could, down the stretch, prove to be a viable backup option for this team in this offense based on – I mean, it, it was a tough situation for him to be thrown into this week. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about it. But there's also the element of Brandon Allen may be who he is regardless. So – I, I would love to get your opinion on if you think that, I mean, I, I would think that the coaching staff is going to use this opportunity with Brandon Allen to see as an audition to see if he can be a backup quarterback to Joe Burrow an effective one for spot starts. Do you see that actually coming to fruition or is this just kind of, it is what it is and the Bengals need to probably get rid of both of these guys in 21. Well, I mean, considering who they still have to play, my confidence is extremely low because the defenses are going to be tougher than the Giants. And like even the Giants, they had a pretty good day on defense in terms of rushing the passer, but that was against the Bengals offensive line. Like, I mean, you're still facing the Steelers, Ravens, Dolphins, even the Cowboys have talent in, in their secondary. And like, I mean, against the Heat Texans, you're facing JJ Watt potentially getting his hands up there and getting a pick six on you. So it's, it, it's, it's tough, but the opportunity is there because those, de- those defenses are talented and, it would be a lot more impressive for a quality game against one of those defenses compared to, I guess, if he happened to play well against the Giants. But this more or less seems like just a sign of things to come. And I, I guess they did kind of get a clicking towards the end. And I don't know if that was just the, the Giants defense just falling apart at the worst time because they ended up having a couple of penalties. And then 
Uh, they found T. Higgins a couple times, including that touchdown, and that throw was pretty impressive. So, like, there's going to be small moments here and there, but yeah, he he just kind of is what he is. I mean, he has to be right. Like, it's so rare for these for these guys to just come out of nowhere and just be quarterbacks that they've never been before. Right. It would have to be something that just for some miraculous reason, the system just ends up playing very well to their respective strengths and hide their weaknesses. I, I agree with you. I, I don't know that I can confidently say that Brandon Allen is going to show off in these. It's kind of the Jeff Driscoll thing, right, from, from 2018. I don't know yeah. that Brandon Allen is going to come in here and really light the world on fire or even play like pretty effective football and say, hey, you know what, that's a guy that if Burrow, God forbid, goes down again for any stretch of time, he can come in and play well, even against teams that aren't very strong based on what what the Bengals are facing in these next handful of weeks. They've got a couple of good teams and a couple of of not-so-great teams. So I'm not very confident there. For the Finley thing, this just shows, again, not only how big of a failure that specific pick was and the fact that the Bengals gave up a pick to move up to get him, one of the hand, very few handful of times they've moved up to get a to move up to get a player in the draft. They rarely do that, so they move up and get this guy, and now they've seen what they, I guess, need to see, and he is not the guy that they believe can be a long term backup option to Joe Burrow. And it, it also shows John the failure of so far the 2019 draft class, and there there is a couple of examples of that. So, and I hate to call it a failure, or just a year and a half plus in, but. Again, yeah, the the big uh, you, you talked about Drew Sample there. Um, he's had some nice moments this year, but nothing really. Wow, there's also still a lot of mistakes. Finley, Michael Jordan is now riding the bench. Um, you know, I mean that that's Jonah Williams struggled this week. Just a disaster of a draft class, and it really gives pause as to how effective the Bengals, if this coaching staff remains, how effective they will be in creating a good draft class with high picks for the second year in a row in 21. I just, I think it kind of gives pause to that confidence. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to look it up right now, but this is kind of how it is when you do this stuff live. I think the last three times the Bengals traded up in the fourth round, it was, I think they traded back into the fourth round for Michael Jordan. They traded up for Ryan Finley. And the time before that was Russell Bodine. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> yep. Might 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 want to refocus your evaluations there. Exactly, and that's that's the other thing, John, is they are not moving up in the higher rounds for more impact guys. And we've seen them move back and kind of hoard picks, and it bit them in the butt. What was that? Tw- it was twenty nineteen, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, when when they did that whole thing, and they you know they even passed up DK Metcalf and all of that. We know where that's where that's heading right now. Uh, I, maybe it was 2018. Was 2018 the Dalton Reisner draft? Um, that was Cody, 2019. That was 2019. Okay, so Cody Ford, Dalton Reisner. Um, you know they had they had opportunities to to move back up and get those guys. You know really help out their offensive line. They didn't do that, and then of course they bypassed DK Metcalf. It's just you know the decisions now that you look in the rearview mirror are definitely something that and lead to be questioned. And I saw people like saying like you know sample may not be great but like he's he's playing his role and he's just he's doing what he can that should be enough like no like he's he's not doing enough he, even if he is a solid blocking tight end and he's a nice little check down option like that that's a pick that could have been used on a much better player like 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 you said dk metcalf he's going to be probably an all pro player this year at least on the second team in a perfect situation with seattle and that could have changed drastically what they could have done and he was by far the better player than Drew Sample, and they and they chose and they just reached for a tight end who they thought wasn't going to be available in the third round. So regardless of how good that Sample is in his niche role, he was never the right pick. And no matter how good he does in that role, it's just it'll, it never will be. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot. I mean, I will say that the 2020 draft class is looking pretty strong across the board. Um, there are That's a lot true. of effect, effective players. So, but at the same time they sucked into picks that are atop every round. And it's hard, you know, when you kind of have a top pick of every round, you're kind of going to get the pick of the litter. Uh, so it's, it's a little hard to kind of screw that up when you have that. Maybe that's the same mindset, like I said, in 21, as they look to probably have a top five pick, depending on what plays out the rest of the season. 
they may have a top five pick again next year. And, you know, maybe they create something like they did this year. But, uh, you know, I, there was a point in that game, John, against the Giants where I saw Brandon Allen handing off to Samaje Pirine and Travion Williams and Colt McCoy was handing off to Alfred Morris. And I just felt like I was in this weird time warp. I'm like, well, what is, what is happening here? There's, there's like nobody that is, you know, of prime 2020. I don't know. It was just a weird, weird dynamic in this football game. And I, I don't think the Bengals would, they have 155 yards of total offense or something. Um, not, not a good showing. I'll tell you what though. Brandon Allen, Ryan Finley, kind of make you miss AJ McCarron. Didn't think I'd ever say those words. That's a hell of a point. That is a <laughs> hell of a point. And what is AJ McCarron up to these days? Is he still in Houston? I don't. I don't know what he's doing. He's still in Houston. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure though. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think you agree, John, and I think we've said this a couple times on the podcast. But when Joe Burrow is not in that game. You can see exactly all of the deficiencies he was able to mask with what he was he was doing and what how he was able to elevate not only just kind of the energy level of the team, but elevate the play of a lot of guys around him. And that's that's really one of the big shames of him not being able to finish out this season. Yeah, that's it's true. And I think I mean we talk we can talk for hours about the importance of the backup quarterback and all, but like as bad as Allen and Finley are, and I think we can all agree that they're they're terrible and like they might be the worst options that they could have possibly had. Like there, there's not a lot better options. I know Joe Flacco was one; he's done well with the Jets, and yeah, you can look to that and say and say I told you show. But it, like regardless, if if Burrow did went down, like whoever the backup was, like the difference was going to be noticeable. I think that's partly why the Bengals didn't prioritize it, and I agreed with that decision. I think most of us did. Because like no matter how good your backup is, he's not going to be anywhere close to your starter, and he might make you competitive against teams like the Giants. But big picture wise, it doesn't really mean that much. But he, but because it's this bad, I think that it's a talking point. That's exactly why we're talking about it. So, uh, I guess the, the we could talk about the highlight of the of the game before we move on, and that is special teams, John. Uh, mm-hmm. Special special teams continues to play pretty well. I mean, Alex Erickson had some inexplicable reads on some of his punt returns, but he did have the big one. By the way, there's a breakdown of that on our YouTube channel from Matt Minnick and his Chalk Talk film breakdown, so go check that out. And very nice return to help. Basically, help set up the, what should have been the winning drive, whether it's a field goal or, or a touchdown there. But aside from a couple of mental errors by Alex Erickson or misreads on the punt, uh, you had Randy Bullock perfect on the day on a couple of kicks. You had you had Brandon Wilson cu- coming up with the Bengals record for the longest play in Bengals history with the 103-yard kickoff return. And, you know, a lot to like there. I, I guess not only wanting to get your gauge on the special team's performance, but if there is some sort of move away from Zach Taylor, I know we're kind of jumping the shark a little bit. Your thoughts on Darren Simmons stepping in, even if it's in an interim role, is that something you would be open to seeing? I think he's earned it at this point. Like he's been with the team since what was it even before Lewis or what did, was he, he on came the with Marvin? Part? He okay. came with Marvin on in 03. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's going virgin on 20 years. He obviously has experience like coaching in, in the division and everything like that, but it, it, it shows like his, his unit is more times than not more prepared than, at least one of the other units, offense or defense. Um, I, I think we like to talk about special teams when something incredible happens. And like, I don't know how much credit you can give Simmons for Brandon Wilson's return. Like, like his units usually block well, and that's what happened on that play. And Wilson found a gap and just exploded yeah. in. And with Erickson, it's like <laughs> I think it's the per- it's like the perfect definition of the literal blind squirrel finding the nut because that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what it looks like when when Erickson's returning punts and it's, it's a tough job anyways. And we wanted to move on from Brandon Tate for so long. And they finally did with the undrafted guy. And he's been around for five years. He, he's had a successful career for an undrafted free agent and we should give him props for that. But with Simmons, yeah, like I think he, he would make the most sense if, if in an alternate universe that Zach Taylor was fired in the middle of the season, he would, I mean, he's the assistant head coach anyways. So he would automatically get promoted. But in terms of an in-house candidate, we usually like for years when we talked about, the potential, the possibility of moving on from Marvin, 
I think we all kind of strayed away from focusing on in-house candidates. We wanted somebody with a different and fresh perspective. But at this point, like Simmons would be, I think, a welcomed option for at least the short term while they're trying to figure something out and get a competitive team back on the field. But I think Joe Judge, the Giants coach, who was a former special teams coach, he said it best. Like if Simmons, for whatever reason, is let go by the Bengals, he would get signed and hired immediately, if not for a special teams opportunity, maybe even for a head coach opportunity. Like he's that respected in the league and he's still good at what he does. Yeah, he interviewed when the opening was there, when Marvin left the Bengals. He interviewed for the spot. Um, Zach got it, and then he promoted Darren Simmons, rightfully so, and earned promotion to assistant head coach. Uh, you know, I think I think I'd be open to it from from an interim basis. I'm not ready to go there if if it's you know Zach's gone at the end of the year, and you jump right into Darren Simmons. I, I I'd be a little hesitant on that one just because there's you know, such a long history of being attached to Marvin and in-house candidate and you kind of want a fresh start. But at the same time, <laughs> you're almost, we're almost like clinging a little bit to the, to the Marvin days to at least be competitive at this point, four wins in two years, four and a half wins, whatever you want to call it with that tie. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, it's tough to swallow. That's for sure. But uh, that's, that's that. Bengals lose to the Giants 19-17 to and fall to 2-8-1 and on the season, and they are set to take on the Miami Dolphins in uh, on Sunday. We are hoping to still hear from Tim McGee. If we don't get a hold of him this week, we'll get him on next week. Unfortunately, uh, we may have had a little scheduling snafu there, so we'll, we're, we're hopeful we get him on tonight, but uh, maybe looking towards next week. But either way, we are excited to talk to him because he is one of our favorite interviews. Uh, that being said, we're going to get to John's stat of the week in just a second. But before we do, got to remind everybody, go get this show and all of the Cincy Jungle shows on your favorite audio streaming software. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel right under John's left shoulder there. Uh, you can click that little button there and subscribe so you get notified when we go live, when we put up new material, all of that good stuff. It's been a heck of a year for this show and for the Cincy Jungle podcast family and we can't thank all of you enough for your support so uh appreciate it vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home you need a tool to get the most out of your time away that's where viator steps in you can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yes, yeah, so we're going to get the stat of the week. It's the first time we've done this in a little bit. Um, before, leading up to the Giants game, I wanted to, at least on Twitter, highlight how well Von Bell has been playing of late because he's been kind of 
getting a lot of criticism and rightfully so he's he's had some bad plays this year but of late he's actually been playing pretty well and i wanted to like you know credit him before this game and of course on the first drive he gives up a 53 yarder to evan ingram on like the first drive and that drive ends in the touchdown and it was the biggest play of this day and of course like i'm like oh man i can't really give von bell credit but he was actually he in a couple drives later he forced the fumble give, gives the Bengals the ball back and he was the defense's highest graded player in this game with 81.6 and actually since week eight von bell is the sixth graded highest graded safety in terms of coverage in the entire nfl jesse bates really is ninth actually since week eight since that titans game which is a game that he played pretty well i know people ripped on him against the colts against the browns in week six and seven but ever since then he's been playing pretty well but it's interesting because even though his his overall grades are high and he's been playing pretty well on a play for play for play basis he's still allowing like a, a pass rating of 113 and he's given up 115 yards in coverage and he's given up some of the biggest plays out of those other safeties so it's, it's just a it's a weird dichotomy because like the situations where he succeeds and where he he falters it's so clear like he it's just not a great safety in matching up man to man and playing in these deep zones. But I, I think we're still seeing who Von Bell is in terms of the good sides and just guys, a, a guy that can go down the line of scrimmage and make some plays. And I think he had a tackle for loss or two against the Giants. And mm-hmm. he, had, he had his first bit, big impact play, but he's been playing pretty well of late. Um, he hasn't been exposed that much. Unfortunately, they've just put, they matched him up with one of the most athletic tight ends in the game and had him run with him for 50 yards. So naturally that that's going to be a matchup that favors the, the, the opposing side, but otherwise Mon Bell has been pretty good. It's I'm really, really glad you brought up the fact that it's very clear where he's good and where he's not good. I'm very, very glad you brought that up because when you started talking about Von Bell, that's where I wanted to go next to talk a little bit more about him. It, these big plays that he has made, both against the Giants and really that Titans game as well, that's where, where he's made a lot of positive plays, the tackle for loss. He led the team in tackles this week. It's it's very clear. It's at, behind, or shortly, uh, just a little bit beyond the line of scrimmage. It's it's those that area that maybe touches the intermediate range of passes, and that's it. Deep passes, that's not his forte. When Von Bell, John, was brought in via free agency, we were kind of told by Zach Taylor, Lou Anarumo, that they were going to find room to play Jesse Bates, Sean Williams, and Von Bell in different scenarios, different packages on defense. Well, here we are, you know, uh, 11 games in, and Sean Williams isn't getting defensive snaps. And Sean Williams isn't the greatest back end safety but if you remember john in 2018 sean williams like led the team in interceptions with five was second on the team in tackles he and jesse bates had amazing years in it in a year that not a lot of Bengals defensive players had good years so and, and now fast forward a couple of years sean williams isn't even getting on the field in defense and von bell is continuing to struggle in those deep passing routes where you would think sean williams would maybe have some strength so i guess i'm just that's my long-winded way of asking what the hell is going on because I, I kind of feel like you should ha- kind of have those three guys out there in different looks. Right. And e- even since week eight, like Bell has given up three touchdowns, which only four other safeties have allowed that most in their coverage. And it, it just seems, it just seems like the, just the classic, like an offensive play caller identifies that Bell is in a potentially compromising situation. And that's, that's where the quarterback ends up going. And you just see it uh, as an armchair, you know, quarterback you just see oh my god they're going to target von bell he's got a mismatch and, right. and it also just happens and it, it just seems like these are things that professionals and coaches should be able to pick up on and try to minimize but you know, it's kind of where we are but at the end of the day i think i think you can just if you had to wrap up von bell in one sense he's he's a solid player it's kind of like what sean williams was but he's younger and he's under contract for two more years and that's i guess kind of the situation because i mean williams is a free agent after this year and he's probably not going to get come back. So I guess they just want to maximize uh, Von Bell's exposure and just maximize the value of that contract, I guess. So just to wrap it up, your that your stat of the week was Von Bell is one of the best uh, overall graded defenders since week eight. And the score, the score you provided was. So he was, he's 83.6 in coverage and that's six in the NFL since week there eight. Yeah. 
but he's given up the most touchdowns out of any safety as well. So it, it's it, it's a very yin and yang situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, great stat of the week, John, for that on Von Bell, and uh, I think I think that whole yin and yang thing speaks to the entire Cincinnati Bengals this year. It's been kind of a mixed sure. bag on a lot of different fronts. I guess we'll move on here. Just keep chugging along to covering the and previewing the Miami Dolphins game. I think we'll be moving the Tim McGee interview to next week. We we're, we're waiting to hear back from him. So um, apologize on a little bit of miscommunication there. We thought we had that lined up, but I think we're going to move him to next week. So we look forward to that, but let's, let's talk about the Miami Dolphins game, John, this initially when this came on the schedule, this was something that you looked at and you go, Burrow, Burrow versus Tua, right? This was just like, oh, man, even if these teams aren't going to be that great this year, this will be a fun one because in all likelihood, Miami wasn't going to be very good and they'll be playing Tua. And the Bengals may be kind of making some baby steps and getting competitive and Burrow will be showing some growth. Well, now, and we could show the injury report in just a minute, but now Tua did get the start in a team that was kind of surprising some people with the amount of wins they have. And Burrow's out of the lineup. So a lot of luster taken out of this one from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, we exactly. We don't even know if Tua's going to play. He was limited in practice on Wednesday with that thumb. I think Brian Flores, their head coach, just said he's just still rehabbing and we're just going to play by ear. So, I mean, even if Tua doesn't play, like, yeah, like you said, Fitzpatrick has still been still been a good quarterback, you know, just somehow, some way, like 15 years in the league and his 15th team, he's still finding a way to succeed. But like the Dolphins have done what I think a lot of Bengals fans should strive for. Like what they would, the Dolphins have done what the Bengals hope that they would also do. Like Brian Flores has come in as the only Bill Belichick um, disciple and has just instilled a winning culture in, in the franchise. And they followed that up with, you know, talent acquisition in the offseason to complement the, the guys that already were there, clear out the guys that didn't want to be there. And just built that entire team and really won offseason on top of the, the players that they had and the players that have improved since Adam Gase uh, departed. So, I mean, even if Tua does play and he's not uh, he's not great and he hasn't been like lighting the world on fire by any means in his first couple starts, but the team has just been effective since week five. They're six and one. They have a point differential like plus sixty nine or nice, and they've got wins over like the Rams and the Cardinals. They're they're playing really solid football, and I think it's it starts with their defense. They have the second best passing defense since week five, only second to the to the Steelers. And they don't have dominant pass rushers like the Steelers do, but that's secondary. It just it just works so well together. Xavier Howard, Eric Rowe, Bobby McCain, Byron Jones isn't even playing that well, but like every everyone is just where they need to where they need to be. And they play just the this man coverage, this cover zero that no other team really can em- emulate. And it's it's unfortunately a perfect storm facing a quarterback in Brandon Allen or Ryan in Brandon Allen who just unfortunately just can't hit open receivers at all. So it's it, it, on paper, it looks like an ugly matchup, and that's more or less what it is. Are you surprised at the performance, at least thus far, by Brian Flores? I kind of am because he was kind of an unproven position coach guy. And the New England Patriots, this, this Belichick tree of coaches, has not – done well outside of their little New England dynasty that they've built, right? You've got McDaniels who struggled, Romeo Cornell, Charlie Weiss. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Really, the only two that are showing anything right now are Flores, who seems to be turning around Miami, and Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. So are you you a little surprised that Flores is able not only to break away from that tree and starting to show – the, the fact that the ability to be an effective head coach, but also do so in the same division as New England. Good call on uh, Variable. I, f- I forgot that he actually did play for uh, – I, I forgot he wasn't a coach. For, he was just a player. But, yeah, good call on that. Um, yeah, I am. I think people looked at that hire and kind of questioned it from that entire class. Like they just thought it was just going to be another situation where it's going to be another McDaniels or another Patricia. Both of those guys didn't pan out, and obviously Patricia just got fired. But it, sometimes it just clicks. Some, sometimes guys just end up getting it. And I think Flores has that connection with his players, like going back to New England, and it just is translated extremely well. And you can, I guess, kind of hark it back to last year where they ended up winning five or six games or whatever, and they 
got themselves out of the Joe Burrow contention, and people thought that they were going to get themselves out of the Tua contention, but they still end up getting the quarterback that they originally quote-unquote tanked for. And uh, like they, they offed uh, Laramie Tunsil for a couple first-round picks. They gave away Minka Fitzpatrick for a first-round pick. And I think we kind of see that, like the value of what you know what those picks can turn into, even though the players are solid. So, like that's it. It really is the most important thing. Like if the Bengals want to be where they eventually want to be, like they have to pass through the threshold and the test that the, that the Dolphins already have in just one and a half seasons. And now they're they may not be contending for you know a deep playoff run this season because they still have things to work out. But twenty twenty one beyond, like the AFC East is probably theirs to the taking. Like, I think they're a more solid team than the Bills. And they just they just seem to have things figured out from a mental standpoint and from a culture standpoint that the Bengals are st- still dreaming of. So hats off to Flores for really you know outshining whatever expectations were from him because I I certainly didn't think he was going to do this well, especially in Miami. That it's, it's just hard to win down there with, with the ownership there. So you know credit to him for for doing things that not a lot of people thought that he could. We're going to get to the injury report and a little bit more on this game. I think uh, in just a second, but I think John, kind of to your point a little bit. What Miami has done that the Bengals did not really do is Miami unpopularly committed to the tank or committed to the rebuild. And what I mean is, you know, the the names you mentioned that they offloaded to get some high picks. That wasn't, you know, I mean, a couple of those guys, Minka and and Tunsil, were recent first-round picks themselves. And they they were able to net more. And what they did is they said, okay, we're going to use all these picks. We're going to get a franchise quarterback. We're going to reload the roster. We're going to have a lot of high picks over the, over the next couple of draft classes. And they committed to that. Mm -hmm. And I I think now I, I, I would, I think they're, they're seeing the fruits of the labor a little earlier than I expected personally. But I think that that's my opinion is I think that that's why we're seeing this team having some success so far at this point. They've kind of committed to their rebuild process, whereas the Bengals said, we're going to hang on to A.J. Green, we're going to hang on to Geno Atkins, we're going to hang on to Carlos Dunlap longer than we probably should given the dynamics there, and we're not going to collect picks. Instead, we're going to get a backup offensive lineman and a seventh-round pick for just one of those guys. Right, and I think initially you can maybe ask like if, if there's just unclear directions in the Bengals front office as compared to the Dolphins because the Dolphins do have a GM and just a, a traditional power structure as with the Bengals, it's, it's Duke Tobin and the Brown family. I think, I think the, I think the Bengals plan has been coherent and there's been clear communications with like the, the power structure there. It's just their bets. Like you said, just haven't paid off. Like they were expecting, you know, more returns from obviously Dunlap and they had to, had to get rid of that relationship because of what happened. And they, I, 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 pretty sure they're expecting AJ Green to be productive this year. They franchise tagged him. They're still expecting some production from Gino, even if they were expecting to kind of rotate him out more often. So like all other bets have, have failed in, in terms of just these veteran leaders, just not playing up to their contracts. And unfortunately, like the only way to counter that is if the guys that you recently brought in, that you recently drafted and signed, they have immediate um, re- like return on investment, but DJ Reader has been out for most of the year. Trey Wayne still hasn't taken a snap. Like Von Bell has been okay, but not necessarily great. Xavier Suafilo has only played 43 snaps. And this rookie class has been good, but then all of a sudden, like the prize jewel falls down because you, you failed to build an offensive line by design because you you were negligent in evaluating it. So like they, they made their bed. They decided what was important, what was not. They decided where to invest and who to invest in. Unfortunately, none of those bets have paid off. And like Tim McGee said back in March, like th- this isn't college. Like you, it, you don't you don't get three years to turn around an organization in the NFL. The clock ticks a lot faster than it does in the amateur ranks. So now we're two years into the Zach Taylor tenure, and none of his process has been working. And then that's unfortunate, but it's, it's the definite difference between the Bengals and the Dolphins. Yep, and I, this may be one of those rare occasions where the. New England way, the Patriot way is paying dividends, whereas other guys tried to flex their muscle. Like you, by the way, you mentioned Patricia. That was a name I didn't, I didn't mention. So that was a good call there. But guys kind of tried to flex their muscle, and players balked at. But it seems to be working pretty well. If if that is indeed what Flores is doing in Miami, I'm going to share the injury report just to update everybody, so we know what's going on there. This is on CincyJungle.com. Uh, you've got a lot of veteran rest days from the usual suspects geno atkins mike daniels aj green uh clark harris out with an illness uh tony brown 
that cornerback group just continues to be depleted. You have Alex Redmond still under concussion protocol and did not practice as of Wednesday. A little scary here. Brandon Wilson, hamstring injury, did not practice. And then you've got limited Mike Thomas with a hamstring issue. He's missed the past couple of games. Christian Covington out with an illness as well. So a lot of stuff going on with the Cincinnati Bengals on the injury report as if they haven't suffered enough injuries already. Sean, I guess the one that just kind of sticks out, and I know it's a rest day, but Geno Atkins, I think he's amassed one tackle on the year. I know he missed quite a few games to begin the year, but he is just not really showing much at all. Your take on maybe what you're seeing there, I I, I can't explain it. I mean, I, I can't really either. It's just he's just he's the definition of an afterthought. He's not starting, and he's playing he's playing obvious passing downs. He's playing on third down, and like. You just even when he's doing the things that he has been doing for the past ten years, you just don't notice it because I mean, there's there's some the occasional pressure or two yeah. where he's pushing the pocket, but it never finishes in the sack because he can't clean it up and no one else is getting off the block. Only only one Bengals pass rusher is allowed to win on on a single play. They're not allowed to have more than that. It would just be <laughs> against the rules. So like, yeah, it's just like they had a plan for what they were going to do. And it's devolved into this. I think the injury might have a part of it. He might not be completely healthy. We have no idea. Like, we didn't know that Auden Tate was dealing with a shoulder injury, and all of a sudden he's on IR because he hasn't been playing right. recently. Like that's, that's all that they literally just did today. So, I mean, who knows how healthy or unhealthy Gino is. We just know that from the, from the get-go, he was going to, going to play less. But with DJ Reader after the year, you would think, okay, that's got to be kind of in, in the trash can now. We've got to get him out on the field more. No, it's just been Xavier Williams and Christian Cummington. And, I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate, but Brandon Wilson, I mean, if he doesn't play the Bengals, have an offense. So <laughs> that, that sucks. Yeah. And Brandon Wilson, actually, someone someone had brought up, uh, you know, why wasn't he? There was one return where he was not back there. I think he did end up getting some defensive snaps as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think they were kind of just moving him around a lot. And now, you know, he, his status is in jeopardy for Sunday against Miami long list for Miami as well. Here you see uh, Salvin Ahmed, the the running back, he was limited, but if you notice, there's a lot few did not practice as of Wednesday on this list. than uh, the Bengals had, you see a lot of full practices and limited practices. Uh, Kevon Frazier, Xavier Howard. Uh, he was full practice. He is a stud, as you mentioned, John, just a very, very good defensive back. Solomon Kinley. He was the, uh, the rookie inside uh, interior offensive lineman from Georgia. Uh, so he's he was limited with a foot injury, Shaq Lawson. Uh, again, a lot of, lot of full practices. And then again, the one that sticks out like a sore thumb, ha, get it, to a ta- tackle by Loa. Yeah, I know, terrible. Left thumb, limited practice. Uh, your gut feeling on D, I, I think he plays, but I I don't know. What do you What do you think? I don't, it's it's tough. I'm not do not want to be in the business of predicting injuries. Um, I'm assuming if he's right now, I'm gonna say he doesn't. I'm gonna say they they just they okay. just look at this and say we can probably beat the Bengals with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think they just kind of ease him in for the final four weeks of the year when that playoff hunt really kicks in the high gear, I, which could give. The, I mean, like I don't know. Like I I don't know what they're thinking, right? Like you, you would think this would be a, a trap game for the Dolphins, I guess, because that means the Bengals and they're they're terrible, and the Dolphins are six and one their last seven, and maybe that is the mindset. But it, it's just like you, you look at how they're beating teams and how they're just smothering them. It's like even if they if they're not going at one hundred percent in terms of just effort, like this is still a team that's extremely well coached, and they might not have to be at one hundred percent. Like Brian Fitzpatrick just has to survive. And just move the ball down the field a couple times, and they'll have enough points. And just like, yeah, because the Bengals are just not not going to score a lot against this Dolphins defense. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
we're going to call our shot and all of that drop the mic and get out of here in just a minute a nice nice manageable timeline of a show here uh before we do though john what what's a what's a key for the Bengals to potentially win this game against the miami dolphins is it is it just more big plays from special teams or uh does basically every single absolute thing have to go their way more or less the second one like they could use another (laughs) good fake punt from sean williams um it, it's just going to be so tough to pass against this Dolphins defense. Like, I, I mean, you, you might know this, and I don't. Like, I don't know the last time the Bengals have won at Miami. I know they, I mean, they they lost in overtime last two times, I think, or two of the last three. So, like, I, I'm going to say Geo scores a touchdown for the first time, and and kind of reminiscent of that incredible run back in okay. 2013. But it might be the only offense that they have. Um, yeah, it's they, they, they need everything to go right. They they need they need big plays from the offense as like the only way that they can move the ball because for the most part the Dolphins are going to keep them in check and Kevin Huber is going to pump the ball like eight to ten times. So they need to, they need to get lucky on a couple offensive drives and they need some big special teams plays and you know maybe maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick makes some mistakes and get the Bengals opportunities, but. It's it's going to be tough, and it's probably going to be more on the low scoring side unless the Dolphins just pull away at the end. The last time the Cincinnati Bengals won in Miami, they beat them thirty eight to twenty five on December thirtieth of two thousand seven. So the Carson Palmer era is uh, the last time they did that. In the time before nineteen sixty eight, thirty eight to twenty one. So the Bengals do not travel well. And that is per pro football reference. I wish I could just say I'm a human almanac like that, but uh, I know a lot of things. I don't know. I didn't know that one. So I had to research it a little bit, but the Bengals do not travel well to Miami uh, infamously, as you mentioned, John, it's few and far between. I don't expect much to happen. And I guess is the geo touchdown. Your, your calling of your shot this week, you're going to, you're going to get an exciting geo touchdown. Yeah. yeah. Might as well be positive when you know, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Did you say a score prediction? Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know. Like 23 to seven. Okay. okay. Sure. That would, that would be a tough one to stomach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess I'll go 28, 28, uh, 14 for, for Miami. I, regardless of really who plays, who plays quarterback. I don't think it's going to make a lot of difference in terms of the amount of points that they score. So I think uh, that, you know, in terms of keys for the Cincinnati Bengals, um, you know, I think special team, a big special teams play and uh, they, they need to start corralling more turnovers. They need to get, instead of just the random one, I think the, the fumble recovery, John, that Von Bell had last week was only their second fumble recovery of the entire season. So, that's pretty pathetic. And I think that also speaks, unfortunately, to a lack of pass rush where you can get a strip sack and fumble. That speaks to just a lack of uh, overall aggressiveness on, on defense. And you need to find guys that are opportunistic. So if the Bengals are going to win this one, they're going to need you know some sort of fumble recovery for a touchdown. Just one of those big plays that you don't normally get on a weekly basis. They're going to need to probably get one of those. Before we get out of here, John, quickly, what what do you think for this game and the ones ahead? What do you, what do you kind of think in our the positive stepping stones? If you're not going to accumulate wins, what do you what is this team going to need to show all of us in order for us to go? Okay, the things are kind of moving at least a little bit in the right direction despite all the injuries. Yes, yeah, so you have Xavier Suafilo coming back. We don't know if he's going to start. If he does start, he'll probably at right guard. Um, they need to show promise on the offensive line, I think, because that's it's going to be the focal point of the entire offseason. And the less problems that they have going into the offseason, the better. The better it'll be for them to solve them as best as they can. Like They're probably going to need two new starters, but if they can see if Quinn Spain is actually a long-term guy and if Bobby Hart somehow finished the year on an even higher note than he was, like maybe you can make an argument that he only needs competition. He doesn't need to be outright replaced. So... That any any positive signs that they can get from the offense line playing in front of a backup quarterback that will make the offense line worse than what it actually is like that is 100 percent needed. It's hard to it's hard to ask 
anything from the receivers because they're playing just Brandon Allen. And like, I, I mean, we can expect Boyd and Higgins' production to kind of taper off, I guess, towards the end of the year. I don't know if either of those guys are going to eclipse a thousand yards. Maybe they do. Um, but yeah, and, and then defense, like I think those guys are going to like blue and Arumo is going to be asking those guys to save his job. And we, we might see a little bit more of a Keem Davis gather with Brandon Wilson kind of nursing an injury and Carl Austin and William Jackson, they're going to try to look finish strong in contract years. So, you know, it's, it's up to those guys to kind of corral that group and help carry this team because the offense is sure as hell not going to be able to do that. Yeah. You're going to need to see something out of this offensive line group, at least, I, I, it's almost kind of like, well, I mean, don't show too much because that, that you don't want to get too confident in, in who you have there because this offensive line needs a lot of help. But to your point, I think the the offensive line needs to start showing up and at least some individual guys on there. You know, Jonah Williams has had largely a, a, an okay, what's considered, I guess, a rookie campaign, but he really struggled last week, which was a little mm-hmm. surprising to me. And I, I'd like to see some steadiness there. I'm really interested to see, like you said, if Bobby Hart continues to show some improvement. Um, and then you've got Trey Hopkins, and then, you know, you can kind of figure out what you got from there. Pass rush, you got to find somebody to be able to rush the, rush the passer, even with – some of your guys gone here. And then, of course, John, the focal points, cornerback and wide receiver based on guys who are set to be free agents next year. I think, you know, you're going to need to figure out that. I, I really – I was really impressed with Mackenzie Alexander last week. Um, oh, yeah. I thought he played very well, and I hope that's a guy that they look at retaining as a, as a slot corner going forward. I think he's been a good little addition um, for this for this team. So that's kind of where, where my head's at. We're going to drop the mic and get out of here. What do you got for us on the way out, John? I was earlier in the week. I was making a cheesesteak. It was a frozen cheesesteak, and I was cutting open the steak, and I slipped my left index oh. finger here. And oh. it was the, it's the second time that I've done it to this finger. The first time I was in high school, it was an architecture class, and we were making this house out of just I, I didn't even know what the material was. We were cutting with with exacto knives, and the dude made such a Poignant point of just making sure that not cut your finger. I sliced off this part of my left index finger. I had to go get get it glued. So this finger's been through a lot in the past eight, seven years now. But even that was still not as painful as watching the Bengals offense um, last Sunday with Brandon Allen. But I'm glad that my partner in crime, Anthony, is back and he's not he wasn't gone for too long. And yeah, it's it's about where I am right now. Uh, thanks, man. Did you need to did you need to get that stitches or glued or what? What's going on with that bad boy? I, I, I called my sister because, like, I I was I went to the urgent care to see like if I could get anything there, but their line was like two hours long out the door. So I'm like, I don't really know what I can do. So I called her, and she drove down, and she she lives only like five minutes away from me. She had this like um, liquid bandaid, which essentially yeah. is, it, acts, it acts as a glue, and I got the wound like healed up in a day, and we're we're, we're hanging in there literally. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, geez, man, that's brutal looking. Uh, <laughs> were you slicing it in half or what, what, what was going on there? I, don't I know. just wasn't paying attention. Like I was trying to like cut the plastic with knife and then I of course picked like the sharp, sharpest knife that I own and just whoosh, not good. Yeah. I remember, gosh, years ago I used to work at in restaurants and I remember, uh, we used to have to cut like lemon wedges and there were times like there's like usually uses like a serrated knife and there are times where you would hack a, a part of your, your hand as you were doing it. And then the lemon juice would get in there and it was like, ah! <laughs> it was like a, just an ultimate pain. Uh, I don't have much, obviously I said it from the get go. Thanks to, to John and Matt for really carrying, carrying the week on the show. And, you know, it's, I think it's been a weird year for a lot of us. And uh, you know, this, this show and what we do here, at least for me, kind of feels uh, it's one of the normal things, right? One of the things mm-hmm. that's, that's normal. And uh, I always appreciate that. We've had some nice compliments in the in the chats and stuff. It's just it's really it kind of feels good to to do some of the normal things in a year that's been so abnormal for a lot of people. So um, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you and Matt stepping in, John. That was a that was a big help for stuff uh, that I was dealing with last week. But it's good to be back. And thank all of you for tuning in get the show how you can we'll hope that the Bengals put forth at least a more palatable performance against the dolphins uh a little more pleasing to the eyes but we will see for john sharon i'm anthony kazenza this has been the orange and black insider we'll be getting tim mcgee for you next week 
If not, maybe even more guests. We'll, we'll maybe try and double up for you. Apologies on the little scheduling snafu there, but we'll work it out and we'll get just some, some good guests coming up here. We'll see you next Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, Mom. No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.